Thank you, Sheila. It's great to be with you this morning, this Lord's Day. As Sheila said, I'm John Eiley. I'm in my third year as being the chaplain of Chippewa County, and I've been also serving at Hope Gospel Mission for 15 years, so I know a number of you in the audience through Hope. So it's great to be here. Pastor Mark invited me to uh, speak here while he was on vacation, and uh, Mark and I have one thing in common. We're both graduates of John Brown University in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, a university that has a very long uh, legacy of training Christians in different areas. So I'd like you to turn this morning, and I, I really would like you to take a pew Bible if you don't have your own Bible that you brought or a smartphone or a pad or whatever but I I really would like you to follow on Scripture this morning. I've selected three Scriptures. The first one's in 2 Peter chapter 1. The second one's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the third and last one will be in in, uh, Matthew chapter 4. There is an outline, and I'd encourage you to follow along in the outline also as well as your Word. uh, Copy of the Scriptures. And then if you want to, you can fill in the blanks on the handout. And I'd encourage you to take this home and review it on your own or if you have family devotions as a couple or if you have children at home with your children because the more time we spend in Scripture, the more we'll get out of it. I've been a Christian for 50 years and pretty diligent student of the Word of God. And the older I get, the more I value the Word, even though I've read many of parts of it and heard sermons and even taught and preached on it myself. I get more and more out of it. And that's true if we want to see God. And I thought the songs were very appropriate this morning. I do a fair amount of pulpit supply, and I'm surprised, maybe I shouldn't be, that even though the people who pick the music often don't know what I'm going to preach on, (laughs) the songs fit the message. And that was true again today, so praise the Lord. So let me open in prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for buildings to meet in. We thank you for people who you have gifted with uh, musical abilities and a desire to apply themselves to become skillful with their voices and instruments. Lord, we thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise, Lord, our minds, our hearts, our wills, our voices, our bodies, our time, our relationships. And we just pray that you'd speak to us from your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be our teacher, to open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the things you have recorded in your word. We thank you that we have it in our own language, accessible to us. We can read it study it anytime we want to. So we pray that we would see the value of your word where you reveal yourself and that it would become more and more precious to us. So we commit ourselves in this time to you and we pray that you would speak to us and bless us. As the song said, we want to see you this morning. So we ask it, Father, in the name of your exalted Son, who's at your right hand, who has all authority in heaven and earth, the name of Jesus Christ, the name 
at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So, I selected the three passages because I believe the Word of God is very important. It's always been contested. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, when Satan came to tempt and deceive Eve, he said, has God really said? And then he said, you shall not die, because God had said in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So he basically called God a liar, that God was untrustworthy, and also that God was not good. He didn't have the best intention for Adam and Eve. He was trying to hold back something good. So throughout human history, the word of God has been maligned, misunderstood, not valued, not read, not studied. And that's true today, and I think it's more true almost weekly in the United States. People have departed from believing in God, believing in his authority, understanding him, and a part of that is because they don't read and understand and value his word. So that's why I've chosen the topic in these three scriptures that I think are three key scriptures, especially the two. And that's why I've entitled it, What the Bible Says About the Bible. There's a lot of human opinions, and that's why the first question is, a sampling of people, what they think of the Bible. So you could go and interview 12 people at random, go to the mall or coffee shop or whatever, and ask them their opinion of the Bible. And you can write down your own thoughts on that. But three that I wrote down is, I don't know. What's your opinion of the Bible? I don't know. I don't read it. So they don't even know what's in it because they don't read it. The second one is, I tried reading it, but I don't understand it. So then they give up. And the third is, it is a religious book of stories, legends, fables. Parts of it are good. Parts of it I like but it's outdated and it has errors in it. And you could add to that list. So the second question is, is the Bible we hold in our hands or you read on your phone or your computer or your pad, is the Bible God's word and is it trustworthy? Is it worthy of our trust? Can we trust it? Should we trust it? And if so, why? So Roman numeral one, where did the Bible come from? And that's going to be a part of what we'll see in the first two scriptures in 2 Peter and 2 Timothy, is what's the origin of scripture? Where did it come from? So hopefully you're in 2 Peter. If not, I'd encourage you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll read verses 16 through 21. And I have the ESV version, the English Standard Version. You probably have the NIV, but it's similar. So you can follow along. You can listen to me read it in the ESV. But as we work through it, then I'd like you to pay careful attention and look at your own copy of Scripture. So 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 And these are the last written words we have of Peter the Apostle. He was the leading apostle of the Twelve. His name is always first in the list of the Twelve. He was the leading spokesman. And he tells us 
in verses 13 through 15, before the portion I've chosen, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So what is he going to remind, of the, remind his readers of? Verse 14, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort, notice that, every effort, so that after my departure, that means after I'm dead, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And we have this. We can read Peter's writing that he thought was important. The last words that someone says before they die, especially after a long life, are probably very important. Very thoughtful after a whole life of experience and thinking about things. So I think that adds weight to what we're going to see. So you could say these are the last words we have of the great apostle Peter. So verses 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory, remember some of the words that we sang this morning? They relate to this, majesty, honor, and glory. For when he, Jesus Christ, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, quote, now we hear the voice that Peter heard. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Peter doesn't quote all of it, but God said, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter's saying to us, listen to me. I was there. I was an eyewitness. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So he goes from something he saw and heard, the transfigured Christ. He's speaking of the transfiguration of Christ, where Christ became so white, whiter than any human being could ever make a garment. He was just radiating. And then they heard the voice of God speak from heaven. So now he's going to turn to the words of the prophets, which would be the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 19, And we have something more sure In an alternate translation would be something very certain, altogether certain in the Net Bible, wholly reliable. So he said, we heard the voice of God, we saw Jesus transfigured, his glory, and we have something else that's very reliable, very certain, wholly reliable. What is that? The prophetic word. So that's the scriptures to which you will do well to pay attention, and then he's going to liken it to something, as a lamp shining in a dark place. I lived in Montana for about five years, and I went into the Lewis and Clark cave cavern, and the tour guide brought us deep in there, and then he turned off all artificial light, and you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see your hand. You couldn't see a thing. So Peter likens the word of God 
if you're in a dark place and someone turns on a light, you can see things you never saw before. The prophetic word which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now listen to the last two verses. Knowing this, first of all, what should we know first of all? That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, in your handout, Roman numeral one, Peter tells us where the word of God did not come from. Three things. So, verse 16 in the ESV, the word of God is not cleverly devised myths or stories that people concocted. That's not what the Word of God is. So it's not a bunch of old religious fables or stories or myths. Number two, look at verse 20. He says, the second thing, it's not. Knowing this, first of all, that no script, prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So the second thing, he says, Scripture is not It's not someone saying, well, this is my take on it. This is my view. This is what I think. Peter says, that's not where Scripture came from. And the third thing that Peter says is in verse 21. Look at that. For no Scripture, no prophecy, none of it, was ever produced by the will of man. It didn't originate with man or man's will. I'm going to say this. I'm going to teach this. I'm going to purport this as being from God. No. So they're not cleverly devised myths. They don't originate from someone's take or interpretation on a situation or events, past, present, or future. And they're not produced by the will of man who's trying to put his thinking or teaching forth as authoritative. So if that's not where it comes from, from people or man, where does it come from? Well, the end of verse 21, Peter tells us, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So where did it originate with? God. That's where the Bible came from. The words we have in Scripture came from God. And then it came to God's chosen people, a prophet often in the Old Testament, who spoke it to the people or wrote it down. And the New Testament was written either by apostles or co-workers of the apostles who had heard the Word of God through those who were trained by Jesus. And they got it from Jesus. So men spoke from God as they were carried along. And in the Greek, that word means if there's a a ship and they didn't have diesel ships or steamships at that time. They were sailing ships where you had to use oars. So it's what is used if a ship is in the harbor and they want to leave port, they raise the sail. 
and the wind comes and it hits that sail and it moves the heavy boat along. So that's what it's like. The Holy Spirit influenced and moved the people who wrote down Scripture. So it comes from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit instructed them, gave them the understanding and the words that are written in our word. So that's number one. That's Second Peter chapter 1. So next, I'd like you to turn to Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 17. And this is also the last words that we have from Paul. It's talking to the inmates a while back. I, I went through this with the inmates in Chippewa County Jail. And I, and I said, who, who do you think are the most influential people in all of human history. Well, who do, who do you think? <laughs> okay. Peter, I would put Peter probably in the top five. So Jesus, I would put number one. Jesus had a, has had a greater influence. The Word of God's the most popular Bible in the world, the bestseller, the most distributed. The number one request I get from inmates in the jail is for a Bible. And I love that, and I love to give them a free Bible. So I would put Jesus number one, and I would probably put the Apostle Paul number two. There's 27 books in the New Testament, and Paul wrote 13 of them, and half, the latter half of the book of Acts is devoted pretty much to Paul's ministry. And his writings are probably studied more than any other writings in the world. And some of you probably read them weekly, if not every day in your devotions. You probably read them several times during the week. So, saying all of that, these are the last words of the Apostle Paul because in chapter 4, verse 6, his swan song, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Similar to what we saw Peter say. As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to remind you. But the Lord's shown me that I'm going to die very soon. So this is very similar. The great Apostle Paul writing his last words, which makes him very important. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10 through 11, let's see what Paul says to us before he died. But before that, I would like us to look at chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 for the context. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that's what we're to do to those who oppose God, oppose the truth, oppose us when we bring the truth to them. We're not to get mean-spirited. We're to be gentle, patient, and persistent. Why? Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, a change of thinking, a change of attitude, in mind and direction, leading to a knowledge of the truth. 
Read through 2 Timothy and notice how many times Paul uses different words for the Word of God, the deposit, the truth, over and over. I've got them in my margin of my Bible. Over and over he's talking about the Word of God and truth, and he's contrasting that with various false teachers in teaching. And it's the same thing with 2 Timothy. If you go to chapter Three, he talks about the scoffers denying that Christ is going to come back. Where, where is his coming? He hasn't come back. So both Second Peter and Second Timothy are similar in that way. They're writing in the context of scoffers, of unbelievers and mockers. So now look at 3, verse 7 and 8. I was learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of what? The truth. And what's the truth? God's word. Jesus said, John 17, his great high priestly prayer between the Last Supper and going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed for us. Lord, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. I was learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men the context that Paul's writing in, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, and the faith is a Christian faith, what God's revealed to us in Christ. Okay, now the verses I've selected, verses 10 through 17. Now Paul's going to draw a contrast because he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's in Ephesus with a lot of opposition a lot on his hands, and Paul's encouraging him because Paul knows he's going to die and he won't be around very long to encourage Timothy, who tended to be timid. Timid Timothy. So now Paul's going to contrast the false teachers who deny the truth and oppose the truth. So follow in your copy of the Scriptures, verse 10, 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, speaking to Timothy have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And that's where Timothy was from. Timothy was from Lystra, and that's where Paul picked him up on his second missionary journey and took Timothy with him as a helper in an understudy. So Paul's holding himself up as an example to follow and to encourage Timothy. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So in your handout, I've got verses 10 and 11, the importance of godly examples, and Paul puts himself forward first. The expectation of opposition, all 
who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Godly in Christ Jesus, if we're following Christ. What they did to him, resisted him, they will do to you and I. And then, verse 13, the key word there, the light shining here, so I gotta look close to see the verse numbers. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, so evil people can actually get more evil. They can go from bad to worse, and we're seeing that in our society played out monthly in America, sadly. Like they're going from bad to worse. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, and here's the key exhortation and command, continue. Don't give up, don't throw in the towel in the face of opposition and scoffers and false teachers and deceivers who are going from bad to worse. But as for you, continue. What, what is he to continue in or continue doing? But as for you, continue in what you have learned. What has he learned? And have firmly believed And what has he firmly believed? Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are the scriptures, the word of God. Sacred, they're special. So he's learned the scriptures from the time he was a little boy. And then Paul adds, which are able, the sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So where did he learn them from? From childhood. So if you turn back in 2 Timothy to chapter 1, verse 4, the beginning of this letter, Paul says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul said that your grandmother Lois was a believer in God and the Scriptures. And so was your mother Eunice. So they no doubt were the ones who had taught Timothy from the time he was a little boy growing up at home the Holy Scriptures which were able to make him wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to encourage you mothers and grandmothers this morning that you have a very unique and important role because usually the mother is closer to the child. The child gestated in your womb for nine months, was born, often the mother will nurse the child, hold and fondle the child, and spend most of the time with the child, more so than the dad. So you have a very important role, and don't minimize it because it's more important and more influential than you know. And also with grandmothers. So let's go on. 
So the third one, verses 14 and 15, and continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. And now the last two verses, 16 and 17, where Paul directs Timothy to Scripture, the sacred Scriptures. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, not some, not picking and choosing. I like this, I don't like this. I think this is inspired but not this. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and that's a good translation. The Greek is theo, get Greek word for God, theology. Theo noustos, the Greek word for breath. All Scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed. So where does Paul say Scripture originates from? God. All Scripture, every Scripture is breathed out by God. So both Peter and Paul agree, don't they? The origin, the source of Scripture is God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So this is the other key thing. Where does Scripture originate from? And is it useful? Is it trustworthy? He had mentioned firmly believed the faith that dwelt in your grandmother and your mother, and that now I believe dwells in you. Well, how, how does someone develop firm faith that they really believe it? And that's the purpose of bringing out these scriptures is we live in a society who doesn't value scripture. And by and large, they don't believe it's trustworthy. Therefore, they don't read it and they don't know it. And that's the culture we live in. So how are you going to counteract that at work? The things you watch on TV, the the movies that we're inundated with, which is an unbelieving world that believes God is irrelevant and his word is irrelevant and it's unknown to them. It's foreign. How are you going to live righteously in this current culture? And how are you going to continue? Well, your foundation has to be in believing God, and how do you know God? You only know God accurately through his word. And if you don't believe his word is certain, wholly certain and trustworthy, you're going to be wobbly. Your knees are going to be wobbly. And when you're discussing something at work, you're not going to be firm. And that's why I've chosen these scriptures. Because this is what we need to hear. If we're going to have a strong foundation, it has to be rooted and grounded in God and his word. So how is the word profitable? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. I put in your handout, I think, teaching. What does it teach? teaches us about God, creation, where we came from, where the heavens and earth came from, ourself, Christ, and salvation, to just name some of the key teachings. So all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. And reproof is revealing sin or pointing out sin in us, and we can do it in other people properly. It reveals sin and error 
so that we recognize it and turn from it, which leads to the third use and value of Scripture is correcting for correction. It corrects us when we're wrong in our thinking, our attitudes, and our behavior. For teaching, reproving, and correcting. And fourth, Paul says, and for training in righteousness. We don't learn everything at once. We all learned how to ride, ride a bike, I think. And the first time you got on the bike, you probably fell over. And the second time, and then you finally start going some, but you're, it's pretty scary until you develop a sense of balance and keeping it moving. We need training. It happens over time. And Scripture is profitable for training us in what? In righteousness. To what end? Verse 17. That the man or the person of God may be competent, may be skilled, equipped for every good work. So do you want to live righteously in this present evil age? then you need to avail yourself to what God's given you to train you, to teach you, to reprove and correct you so that you can be competent, equipped for every good work. And lastly, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 4 where we see someone doing this very competently, very skillfully, successfully. And that is not none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that we sang about this morning. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see you. So let's see Jesus Christ himself. This was after he left Nazareth. He came and found John the Baptist at the Jordan River, and he asked John to baptize him, and John was reluctant. He said, I I need to be baptized by you. I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals and wash your feet and Jesus said let it be so to fulfill all righteousness and Jesus was baptized the Holy Spirit came upon him to anoint him I believe for service so he could commence his public service and a voice came from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and then if you're in Matthew 4 after that before Jesus commences public ministry He was tested like Adam and Eve were tested. But unlike Adam and Eve, who had a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden, with everything they needed, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness with no human companions. He didn't eat for 40 days. It was not a hospitable place. And then Satan came to try to test him and turn him away from God. So let's see what happened. The theme is the Word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That was the purpose. The Holy Spirit led Jesus there to be tempted by the devil. This was God's plan. Verse 2, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, understandably, Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, quote, if, notice Satan's deception and tricks and seduction, if, not you are, but if, if you are, words are important, if you are the Son of God. So that's in doubt. Let's 
find out if you are or not. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, unquote. But he, Jesus, answered, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, it is written, written where? In the Word of God, the sacred scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Where does that word come from? That comes from the mouth of God. That's what Peter taught, and that's what Paul taught. That's what Jesus taught, and that's what Moses said in Deuteronomy. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, quote, If, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and he quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So he said, if you're the son of God, then jump. Because God says in his word, he'll command the angels to catch you so you won't fall down and hurt yourself. So what's Jesus' response? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, quote, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to, to the test. And now the third time, verse 8, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, quote, All these I will give you if, if you will fall down and worship me. All you have to do, Jesus, is worship me, fall down and worship me, and I'll give you all these kingdoms. So what does Jesus say? Verse 10, Jesus said to him, quote, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, now he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, him only shall you serve. And what was the result? Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So in conclusion, we see how profitable Scripture is and how Jesus used it to overcome Satan. And Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, your adversary the devil goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. Resist him steadfastly in the faith and he will flee from you. So lessons for us This is what I wrote down. You can fill fill in the blanks. Number one, we need to understand what the Bible says about itself. Number two, we need to fully believe the Bible. We can't believe something we don't understand. And number three, we need to follow what God tells us to be and do in the Bible. James says, do not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And number four, we need to use it in times of testing and temptations. Ephesians 6 says to take, put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And number five, we can help others by counseling them from the Bible. 
So number six, I've left it blank and think about this now or take it home and think about it in, in light of the scriptures we've looked at. What will you do? Think about how you want to respond and write down, I will. I will. What will you do in the light of this? And I put down, I will value God and his word and read, meditate, study, and obey and make disciples, teaching them all things Christ has commanded us. So we're to be disciples, followers, and to make other disciples. So do you see the origin of the word of God? The value, the trustworthiness of the word of God and how we can use and should use the word of God so we can be competent, fully equipped for every good work. Amen.